So we've begun a new series uh, to remind us of something really important, and that is that God wants his people to be fruitful and multiply. And we're not talking, as I mentioned last time, we're not talking mainly about you know, mere um, physical multiplication, just more and more people, but spiritual multiplication, more and more people who know God, who trust God, who love God, who want to see His glory, as we sang about in that, that song, just fill the earth, uh, reflecting His goodness. So more and more of those kind of people, or to use the New Testament word for it, more and more disciples, followers of Jesus who uh, believe in Him and trust Him and obey Him. And so last time we looked at Genesis thirty-five eleven where God speaks to Jacob, one of the forefathers of, of the Israelites, and says to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. And we saw that this is essentially the, the same command that Jesus gives his followers in Matthew 28 when he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So, all authority, Almighty God, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. Go and make disciples. It's the same idea. And the, and the thing to see here is that behind this command to be fruitful and multiply, behind this command to multiply disciples, is the almightiness of God. The supreme authority of Jesus, who says, I have all authority. Well, that implies a couple things. First of all, it implies that we have to do this. I mean, God says, I'm almighty. Jesus says, I have all authority, so go do this. So we got to do it. But the other thing to see is not only that we must do this, we can do this. We can do this. We are not to be intimidated. We are not to be... Uh, Hesitant, we're not to be fearful because the almightiness of God, the supreme authority of Jesus, stands behind. He said He would be with us to the end of the age. He will be with us to uh, draw people to Himself, to enable us to succeed in the mission He has given us as we go about it. Because it's His mission, it's His mission, it's His work, it's His idea. You know, Jesus came into this world to seek and to save the lost, to rescue us from our rebellion against God and to, to turn us into worshipers who love God, who, who uh, reflect His goodness in this world. Jesus wants this world filled with people who love the glory of God. That's what he wants. That's what he's after. Filling this world with people who love the glory of God. That's his aim. Now, we can sometimes forget the mission. He never does. He never gets distracted. He never gets off track. He never you know, loses perspective. He's always on it. Now, we get distracted. We get distracted with all kinds of things. Uh, and so periodically... We need wake-up calls 
to remind us of what we're supposed to be about. Um, and, you know, frankly, we live in a world that doesn't really appreciate the mission of Jesus because the world's really, you know, not into the glory of God. The world doesn't care. The world's not into, you know, making life all about glorifying God. But Jesus is. Jesus is. In Matthew 5.16, he says this. He tells those who believe in him, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's really another way to say be fruitful and multiply or go and make disciples. Let your light shine so people see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So, this is why we're here. We're here to be disciples who make disciples. To be disciples who make disciples. And the first step in that, now making disciples, that encompasses a lot of things. But it begins, it starts, step one is evangelism. Evangelism. Now, I don't know when you, when you hear that word what you think of. Some of you look scared as soon as I said that. You went, oh, man, did I pick the wrong day to come to church. Did you think you got to do the Billy Graham thing or you got to use, you know, high-pressure sales techniques or something? No, no, no. Evangelism, the word's very simple. It just means sharing good news. Sharing good news. What's the good news? Jesus came into this world to save sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world but that the world should be saved through him. That's good news. Good news. And evangelism is sharing that good news. How do we share it? By living it out, by showing it, and by telling it. Genuine Christianity. And there's a lot of imitations running around, but genuine Christianity is an evangelistic way of living. It's a way of living that displays the good news and shares the good news. Now, the earliest disciples, they understood this, they went after it, and the results are frankly astounding. Let's just read through real quickly a a little uh, section of this in Acts, Acts chapter 2. So those who received his word, it's talking about the apostle Peter proclaiming the gospel, Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. (laughs) I've wondered more than what, how uh, our nursery workers would freak out if we added 3,000 people in one day. 3,000 souls, Acts 4.4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Acts 5. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes, multitudes of both men and women. Acts 6. Now in these days, the word, the disciples were increasing in number. Acts 6, 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Acts 9. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria multiplied. Acts 16, 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, um, and they increased in numbers daily. You know, sometimes people will say, well, numbers don't matter. Numbers don't matter. It's all about quality, not quantity. Numbers don't matter. And I'm thinking, I guess the author of Acts didn't get that memo. Because they sure seem to matter. 
Now, it's true numbers don't tell the whole story. Okay, it's not just about numbers. Uh, as I said before, we're talking about multiplying disciples, not just raw numbers. But when the numbers mean that more and more people are becoming disciples of Jesus, then of course the numbers matter, because that matters. It matters if churches are making disciples. It matters if we do. So we're going to look at some scripture today to help us multiply and increase our fruitfulness to increase our number of disciples, because it matters. So today we're going to be looking in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. So uh, if you want to get out your uh, slip, if you haven't yet, the the note sheet, and uh, follow along as I read Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. So here the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, addresses a group of Christians, a church in Colossae, and he says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, if you were here back in May, you may remember we went through these verses in our series uh, called Walk with Christ, but I want to look at them again Because I'm convinced these verses, these words will help us be more fruitful as a church if we take them to heart and actually live them out, okay? And the first thing I want to think about is the motivation behind these words. What motivated these words? What motivated the Apostle Paul to ask the Colossians to pray for him that God would give him an open door? What motivated him then to instruct the Colossians to act wisely toward outsiders, to make the best use of their time, to speak graciously, to answer each person thoughtfully, carefully? What motivated all this? What motivated these words was a desire, a passion to fulfill the mission that Jesus has given us. That's what's behind this. There's a passion, there's a desire to fulfill that mission of making disciples. And I think that that passion, that desire has two parts to it. First part is a desire to honor Christ as Lord. A desire to see Jesus Receive the glory, the worship, the adoration, the honor that he is worthy of. A desire to honor Christ as Lord. And of course, if you want to honor Christ as Lord, and you want to do what he said, which was make disciples. The other desire that's part of this, fulfilling the mission, is a desire to see lost people 
saved, rescued. To see the lost found. So desire to honor Christ as Lord, desire to see lost people saved. And you can see both of these desires in places like 1 Peter uh, 3.15. Look at it. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. See, there it is. There's the desire to honor Christ as Lord, the Lordship of Christ. And then he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And there you see the desire to see lost people saved. Be ready. Be ready to tell people about the hope that you have in Christ. And talk to them with gentleness and respect. Why? Because you want to win them. You want to win them. You don't want to turn them away. So those desires, the desire to honor Christ as Lord, a desire to see lost people saved, if we have those desires, if we're cultivating those desires, if we're uh, increasing in those desires, that is going to motivate us to live on mission. To live on mission. What does that mean? What does it look like to live a life on mission. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to see that in Colossians 4 here. Just a couple minutes, but before we do, I want to, I want to have you look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 because I want you to see what it looked like for the Apostle Paul to live on mission personally. Okay, I want to look at his example. So 1 Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 19. Just look Look at what it meant for how he lived his life to live his life on mission. Verse 19. For though I am free from all. Okay, Paul wasn't, he wasn't a slave to anybody. In fact, now that he's a believer in Jesus, you know, he's all about God's agenda. He feels no um, obligation to fulfill people's agendas that they might have for him. He's free from all. He's all about serving Jesus. But look what he says. Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. So he is going out with the attitude of serving others. Why? That I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. And that's a really interesting statement because Paul's Jewish. So what does he mean? He's becoming a Jew. Well, he's talking about living in their culture when he's with them. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Talking about the law of Moses, the Jewish law. Though not being myself under the law, again, because now I'm, I'm living according to what Christ is telling me to do. And Jesus said he came to fulfill the law, and so he is the authoritative interpreter of the law. But anyway, I live when I'm with those under the law. I become as one under the law that I might win those under the law. 21, to those outside the law. Now he's talking about being around Gentiles, non-Jewish people. I became as one outside the law, though not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Why? That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. 
Do you hear the passion there? See how passionate he is about being fruitful and multiplying and making disciples? He is basically saying, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, as long as it's not sin, okay, as long as it's within the boundaries of Scripture, within the boundaries of obedience to Christ, if it's not a sin, I will adjust. I will flex. I will adapt to whatever culture I'm in in order to win people to Jesus. That's what he's saying. See, Paul was more concerned about winning people to Jesus than about keeping other Christians happy who weren't sold out to the mission. I want to be like that. I really want to be more like that. I want a desire to honor Christ. I want a desire to see lost people saved. I want to be as motivated as that to fulfill the mission. It's so easy to get off track. It is so easy to get off track. When we let ourselves become motivated, more motivated by other things. Because there's so many other competing motivations out there and in here. But if we allow other motivations to become more important to us than the motivation to honor Christ and see lost people saved and make disciples, fulfill the mission, if if other motivations become more important to us than that, then we become unfruitful or not as fruitful. We're we're just not going to be very fruitful. So I was thinking, what are some of those competing motivations that sometimes take precedent over the motivation to fulfill the mission? Well, I thought of a few, so I'm going to tell them to you. And I need you to know, I didn't have any one of you particularly in mind when I did this, okay? Because I get accused of that sometimes. Actually, I was thinking a lot about myself. Because this, this is just human. This is just the way we are. These kind of competing motivations rise up and compete with that motivation to be passionate about fulfilling the mission, okay? So here are, here are a few. One motivation could be the motivation to insist, nope, to preserve my traditions. Preserve my traditions. What do I mean by traditions? The way I'm, way things I'm, you know, being the way I'm used to it. The way things have always been. That's what I'm used to. That's what I'm familiar with. I want to preserve those traditions. Or I could be motivated to insist on my preferences. My preferences. You know, I really, I want the schedule that's convenient for me. I want the schedule I like, or I want the music that I like. I want the kind of worship services I like. I want to hang around people I like. My preferences. Or protect my comfort level. Do you like being comfortable? Yes, you do. I do too. We all do. So, you know, I, if somebody says, hey, I'm really going to stretch you outside of your comfort zone, I'm always like, hold on. Put me in situations that stretch me, challenge me, hold me accountable. Come on, that's not comfortable. Or I could be motivated to, <laughs> to guard my territory. Don't mess with my stuff. That's my seat. 
That's my parking place. That's my classroom. Don't mess up that kitchen. As if it's mine. Now, I want to be clear, not, you know, not all these motivations are bad. You know, traditions can be a very good thing. There's nothing wrong with traditions. Having preferences is not wrong. We all have preferences. The problem is when we make those traditions or those preferences more important to us than fulfilling the mission. That's when they're a problem, when they get in the way of fulfilling the mission. And you know what happens when we do that? You know what we miss out on? Joy. We miss out on joy when we're unfruitful. Look at John 15, 8. Jesus said, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much, what? Fruit. That you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Okay, three verses later, verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, including what he just said, uh, bear much fruit. These things I've spoken to you, why? That my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants us to have full joy. Isn't that amazing? How do we experience full joy? We do what he says. Be fruitful. That's joy producing. I, I've never met, I have, I'm pretty confident, I've never met a Christian who didn't want to be full of joy. But there are Christians running around, often including me, who aren't full of joy. Well, could it be that one of the reasons for that is that we're not being fruitful? We're not bearing much fruit? We get joy as we pursue the mission. You want joy? I have some ideas for you. Get on board with us and help us pack 2,400 shoeboxes for children who need to know Jesus. So when you go out shopping, you know, once a month there's a slip in your worship folder. It says what we're buying now for those shoeboxes. I think right now it's what, soap and washcloths or something? Buy soap, buy washcloths, buy, you know, plush animals, buy toys when they're on sale because these will be used by God to introduce children to Jesus through those gifts. That's a lot more joyful than buying a bunch of junk for yourself. Uh, you want joy? Volunteer to help with Good News Club on Monday. It reaches out to elementary school kids across the street to share Jesus with them. You want joy? Volunteer to help out with the zone. Middle school outreach on Wednesday afternoons. You want joy? Sign up for a heart change workshop. And watch what happens. Watch what happens when you see people start believing what God says about them instead of the lies they're used to believing. You want joy? Make it your ambition to live on mission. Me too. All right, now, on to Colossians 4 and how we do that, how we live on mission. 
And this isn't everything we could say about it, obviously, that's why this is a longer series. But for today, uh, here are three instructions in Colossians 4 about living on mission. And these, these things are, are just critical. These are things that we have got to make part of our lives, or to say it another way, these things have to become normal. These things have to become normal every day. This is how I live kind of things to, to live on mission, okay? First, if we're going to be fruitful and multiply, live on mission, number one, pray. Pray to change things. Pray to change things out there. Pray to change things in here. We need to pray. If we're going to fulfill Christ's mission for us, we need to pray that God will change things in this broken, messed up world. We need to pray intentionally. We need to pray regularly. We need to pray and keep on praying until things change because we cannot fulfill this mission without this. This can't be, the mission can't be done without this. You know, there, there might be all kinds of things we could do as a group of people, but we can't possibly be fruitful and multiply and make disciples without prayer. Why? Because it's a supernatural mission. It's a supernatural mission. Being fruitful and multiplying spiritually, making disciples, that requires changed hearts. Well, who changes hearts? Only God can do that. So, and notice it says, continue steadfastly, or some of your translations might say, devote yourselves to prayer. What? Devote yourselves to prayer. Continue stead. Doesn't that suggest an ongoing? I mean, am I devoted to something? I don't say, well, if I get around to it. Some of you are going to watch the Seahawks game. I can tell. I assume you got your DVR set. You're devoted to watching the Seahawks today because you're wearing their colors. You know, it's not like, oh, well, maybe if I get around to it, I'll watch it. You're going to do it. Devote yourselves to prayer. Prayer for evangelism, for outreach, for getting the good news out, for people responding to the good news, that needs to become a regular part of our lives, praying for mission. And specifically, there are two things here to regularly ask God to bring about, okay? Because only God can do this. Two things, opportunities and effectiveness, Opportunities and effectiveness. Paul says, pray that God may open a door for the word. Well, an open door for the word is an opportunity to share the gospel. And then he says, pray that I may make it clear. So then when he has an opportunity, he wants, he wants to be effective in doing it. He wants God to give him boldness. He wants God to give him clarity so that the word can be heard, so that the word will be understood. And we need to pray regularly for both of those things, opportunities and effectiveness, because we need both. I mean, it doesn't do any good to have an open door if, if no one has the boldness to go through it, if no one goes through and speaks with clarity. The open door by itself is useless. And likewise, it doesn't matter if we're all full of boldness and courage and you know we can speak the gospel clearly, and all the doors are slammed in our face. So we need both. Okay, so who alone can open closed doors? 
Who alone can give boldness to timid souls? Who alone can give clarity to tongue-tied messengers? We need to pray. Pray that God will change things. Pray that God will change, create opportunities. Pray that God will give us clarity and boldness to be effective in those opportunities. Pray individually. Pray with partners. Pray with a small group. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for our community. Make prayer for multiplication a normal, regular part of your life if you don't already. Now, last week, if you were here, I asked everybody who was here to uh, try to come up with, you know, one, two, three, four people, a handful of people that you know, that you know need Jesus, and that you'll commit to pray for them daily between now and Easter, okay? And if you, if you weren't here, and you, or if you haven't done it yet, I want you to, I encourage you to do that. Write them down, put them in your Bible or some other place, put it on your phone, Something you can do to remind you, but pray for them daily. Pray that God will give you opportunity. Pray for effectiveness when the opportunity comes. Pray daily. And ask me. Ask me, who are are the people you're praying for? How's it going? Or I'm going to ask you, who are you praying for? Are you you doing it? Are you getting it done? Keep at it. Ask one another. Pray to change things. Number two, live to influence Live in order to influence. Verse 5, conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Well, outsiders, what does that mean? It means those who are still outside of God's family because they haven't yet put their trust in Jesus to forgive them and to bring them into the family. And the point here is that we're to live in such a way that we influence people in that direction toward trusting Jesus. Now, you might be here today, and you might be outside the family. You might not have taken that step. I'm really glad you're here. And you just need to know, God wants you in his family. And he wants you to trust his one and only provision for our sin, and that's his son, Jesus, who died on a cross and rose from the dead to give us life. It's not about merit. You know, you could show up here every week from now until the day you die, and that will not earn you points with God. Jesus is your answer. Trust him. So those of us who know him, those of us who have experienced his grace in our life need to live in such a way that we influence others toward faith in Christ. Now, how do we do that? Well, the, I think the simplest way to say it is live out the truth in love. Living out the truth in love. You know, Jesus never compromised the truth. It's amazing the, the serious things he said to people, and yet they flocked to be near him. Why did they do that? Because they could tell he loved them. Truth and love. Jesus, it says in John 1.14, he was full of grace and truth. His truth was always gracious. Grace was always bounded by truth. So the more we want people to see that in us, we want, we want people to see Jesus in us. And we know we can't pull that off on our own. So that takes us back to the first point, which was pray. The more people see Jesus in us, the more influence we will have. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's going to love us because not everybody loves Jesus. Not everybody loved Jesus when he was on earth. 
What we want, though, is we want people to encounter Jesus through us. How they respond to him, that's between him and them. But our goal is to live out a relationship with Jesus every day. Okay, so pray to change things, live to influence. Third one, speak to win. Speak to win. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to, you ought to answer each person. Gracious speech. Kind speech. Respectful speech. Speech that is truthful and loving. Speech seasoned with salt. Interesting, not dull. Proverbs 18.21, life and death are in the power of the tongue. You know that, don't you? You've experienced it. We all have. You've experienced life and you've experienced death at the tongue of someone else. Because words can build up, words can tear down. Words can draw near, words can drive away. Words can encourage, words can just rip the heart right out of you. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Okay, we all know that. How seriously do we take it? Did you notice the word always? Did you see that? That's really an annoying word. <laughs> Let your speech always be gracious. I'm like, come on, could I get like 50%, you know, or 75%? Always? That means I never get to say, oh, I'm off the clock. I'm not in the office anymore. I'm not, you know. I never get to say that. You don't either. If you know Jesus, you're never off the clock. You never don't have to speak graciously. You never don't have to live on mission. This is not a pastor thing. This is a Christian thing. This is a knowing Jesus thing. Always let your speech be gracious. And notice... Uh, the goal in verse 6, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Answer. What an interesting word. See how that implies listening? <laughs> when do you answer? That's when somebody says something. Do you know what makes speech more tasty to people? You know what makes them more inclined to listen? when they know they've been heard. When they know you've listened to them with genuine interest and concern. That's how to treat people with respect, to listen to them. To listen to them as individuals created in the image of God. Now, uh, you know, that, that includes even when we're disagreeing, because remember, it's the truth and love. You know, if people don't know Jesus, I guarantee you there's things that you're going to, need to say that they might not want to hear. But if it's done graciously, if it's done respectfully, that makes it much more tasty. So, living on mission. This is normal. This is every day. Prayer. Pray to change things. Pray that God will give us opportunities and we'll be effective in the opportunities. Live to influence live out a genuine relationship with Christ every day so that people see him in us and speak to win. This needs to be normal, normal, every day. Because this is why we're here. This is our mission, make disciples.
Now, it's more than evangelism, but it starts with evangelism, sharing the good news. And this is, um, this is just this is essential. So I want to end where I started by reminding us this, that being fruitful and multiplying is not optional. This is just why we're here. And I want to close with this quote from John Piper. He says, Christianity is a soul-winning, outreaching, mind-persuading, heart-entreating, rescuing missionary faith, or it is not true Christianity. We need to be reminded of this because it is almost incredible how listless we can become while calling ourselves Christians. Little by little, our whole orientation can become inward. We can go for months and years and not think about those who perish. We can become so dull and spiritually callous that we don't even ask if we believe in hell or lostness or the preciousness of Christ and the power of the cross and the command of Jesus. We just go about our in-house religious business like a medical clinic that sees fewer and fewer patients and has more and more staff meetings until there's nothing left but a smooth-running program for the doctors and nurses and their families. That's what happens to many churches. I'm going to ask you to pray with me that God never lets that happen to us. Let's pray. Lord, I fear, I fear losing heart for the mission because I'm comfortable doing something else or because I'm afraid or I'm, I don't know, too busy with in-house business. Lord, you, you put this church here to make disciples in this community. And Lord, you have done wonderful, amazing things. And I have seen disciples made here. But Lord, you want more. You want us to be more fruitful, more effective in making disciples. So Lord, will you just help us Will you help us live on mission every day, wherever we are, not just in this room, but as we're out interacting with people who desperately need the hope that Jesus alone can give them. Help us live that way. Do it through us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.